0: Glory! <laughs> we love lists. Crossing out your to do's, it's delicious. But when we contemplate these daily tasks, our long term checkboxes, the five year plan, our dreams essentially, is it a reflection of ourselves or merely a compilation of that which we hold ourselves accountable to as an immediate consequence of comparison? This dialogue with Amari. As much as it communicated on the spectrum that speaks more so to the juggling act that is study, work, internship, having a social life, it holds the zest of someone who didn't just find herself there. She made it so through intentionally allowing herself to have that space. There's a difference between being stuck in the confines of an endlessly jam-packed schedule rooted in comparison and an endlessly jam-packed schedule rooted in authenticity. This girl has a 20-year plan, holds late-night DIY denim sessions, is a self-taught multilinguist, and, without a doubt, is going to slay the courtroom in style. This is Yellow Brick Road, Part 2, with Amari Alford. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from New York and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. <laughs> you're interning at an international relations firm and yes. you're working at a stationary store. Um, I am, yeah. And so the first, funniest combination, yeah. I, no, this is this is exactly there's just so many questions that I want to get into here because it's it's say first off, we all know internships can be like they're less so now, but they're extremely notorious for like capitalizing on those, you know, looking to make a break into their prospective industry. Yeah. How have you found that you've been treated so far within your internship?
1: Um I definitely think that Relative to maybe, I think I've gotten overall, really, in all the internships I've had throughout my life, um, I've gotten pretty lucky in terms of sort of the treatment that I've gotten. Um, my first internship that I ever had, to kind of give you context on what's led up to this, was when I was in high school for about three and a half years. So basically my entire high school, except for one summer where I was abroad, um, I was interning for a U.S. senator back in Florida. And I. Um, yeah, I got very lucky that I got that opportunity. I applied when I was 15 years old and I was, um, you know, most of the other interns there were either in college or in law school and, you know, they liked my, you know, prior experience and my resume that's where they wanted to give me a chance to come on board. And I ended up staying there and it was a really great opportunity. Like I said, I was the youngest one there. I learned a lot about, you know, just like constituent outreach and a lot more about the in and outs of politics than I had known about before. And I definitely made a lot of great connections while I was so that was a really good introduction to me starting out in politics in general and internships kind of going forward. Um, the next internship I had after that was um, a summer internship for the state attorney here in Florida before I came to Fordham. Um, another situation in which I was definitely the youngest intern in the room. Um, it was a lot of law students, so that was it was it was definitely a little awkward at first. Where it was like, oh, where are you going to law school, or like what year are you in law school? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm not even in college yet. I don't get to college until the fall. So that was definitely a really funny experience to kind of explain every single time. But again, I learned a whole lot about law. Um, It taught me a lot of what I did want to do about what I didn't want to do. So that was also a really helpful experience. And then, like I said, I was on that, um, I was working on that campaign last summer. So I wouldn't really consider that an internship, but because I'm out of college, I'll still consider it an internship even though I was on staff. And that was certainly the most intense experience I had and certainly probably where I had more of the more difficult and challenging experiences in all my internships. And then, and this one, like I said, this is probably the most hands-off and kind of like almost not freelance-y, but definitely most kind of like work at your own pace type of internship I've ever been in. And that's kind of because of the nature of this international relations firm. So their particular focus is helping either European businesses, um, that want to establish themselves in the United States, work through the different legal and policy-related hurdles that they might need to get through, or, you know, vice versa, American companies that are trying to establish themselves in Europe get through those same, you know, legal or polit- um, or policy-related hurdles. So, making sure that all their legal, um, you know, all their legal work is in check and making sure that they're following all the policies that the country um, might demand of any products that are being brought in. So. My role at this firm is doing a lot of, um, basically, consumer research um, to make sure that... So I do a lot of, like, the initial research that happens before they become an official client um, for their product. So I do a lot of, like, the preliminary searches to um, see if there are any, like, immediate, you know, hard stops that their product might have in the country that they're entering or if they have any immediate legal issues that they um, may either need to comply to or may not be complying to just to kind of give them like almost a precursor idea of what we would do, like what the company itself would do for them um, before they dive immediately in as a client for the firm. So that's a lot of the work I do. I'm basically doing a lot of research, which is very new for me um, and kind of what I really wanted to do this summer. So I was initially looking to work at an actual research lab this summer because I have always wanted to do research as a part of my course of study. And obviously I don't have as much opportunity as maybe a science student might, um, just because a lot of, research work is either not as easy for an undergrad to come across in the humanitarian field or it's something that you would have to do almost as like a job and it's almost never paid. So it would mean I would have to give up probably my um, work study job during the school year. So this was definitely an opportunity for me to engage that you know research interest that I'd had that I'd never been able to really tap into um, in a way that's more immediately relevant to what I'd be doing in my career. So I definitely have been treated very well. My bosses are, like I said, they're very cool. They're very understanding about the fact that, like, I have another job. They are actually paying me, which was not initially going to happen. But since I'm not doing the internship for university credit, they are going to pay me for my time um, just because they couldn't not compensate me at all, which I thought was very, you know, cool of them because a lot of places will not compensate you at all. Like, I, I had never been paid for any of my internships back home. And most people don't get paid for their internships in New York City at all, which is you know, a big part of the reason why a lot of people have trouble even committing to a full-time internship because you usually have to supplement that with a job. Um, so, like I said, I when I initially applied for internships, I applied to, I think I would say six, and of the six, only one um, advertised themselves as a paying internship. And it actually wasn't this one. This one initially did not advertise itself as paying, but they later decided to pay me because of the nature of my position. So... Yeah, that was definitely something that's really very progressive of them as far as internships go, because, you know, as most people know, summer internships for students are mostly not paid, likely, or any internships at all. So that's definitely been very cool. And like I said, they're also very understanding of the fact that I'm not as business-oriented as their past interns, so I definitely have a lot of learning to do about things within the business sector, considering the fact that this isn't something that has anything to do with a lot of what not, what I've been studying and what I've done in the past and really isn't likely what I'll do in the future. So what I'm really looking to get out of this internship is research skills and the ability to kind of branch out into a more firm, not a firm-oriented environment, but an environment that is basically more like a firm I would find myself working in for at least the first 10 years of my career because up until now I didn't have a lot of experience in working at an actual firm and what that looks like and what that feels like and what that means in terms of how you socialize within the company. So... I've definitely gotten a lot of experience in that. And I mean, besides that, like I think I would say the coolest part of the internship besides the fact that I get to do a lot of legal and policy research research is the fact that it's in the Chrysler building. Like that I think is like the coolest thing in the world. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it's insane. Like my view from like my little intern office is certainly much cooler than I've had in the past. So that is really cool. Even though I work mostly remote, so I've been in the office like maybe three times this whole summer. But every time I do... Um, I was super psyched to get my Chrysler building ID because I was like, oh, my God, I have an ID to get yes. to the Chrysler building. <laughs> um, so that was really fun. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely got a better sense of what it's like to work at an actual firm because I've been a bit in the dark about that. And it was something where I was like, you know, you should get around to that because you're going to be working at a firm for a long time. So you should understand what that feels like. So um, hopefully next summer I'll either work at an actual like research lab, like I'd like to, or work at an actual law firm. But I might have to hold off on working at a law firm until I'm actually in law school, just because most law firms will not hire an undergrad for an intern. Because the reason that they'll usually hire an intern at all is so that they can guarantee you, they can like basically decide if they want to keep you at that firm after you graduate from law school. And, you know, bringing someone in as an undergrad might be a bit premature for that. So I can understand why they don't bring in as many undergrads. So um, definitely going to try to see if I can do that regardless. But yeah, that's kind of what the internship has looked like. And, um, so far, it's been able to balance nicely with my, my other job, so I've gotten pretty lucky this summer as far as scheduling goes.
0: Yeah, I and mean, it's like taking a, a structural perspective of, say, I'd be interested in hearing your perspective on how both business entities compare in catering towards their clients. How well do they navigate that space of user experience and engaging with their clientele? Because, say, it's not necessarily how impressive a venture or a person is, but More so the case of how adept that economy of human engagement and connection is being navigated.
1: Yeah. So I would definitely say obviously are two very starkly different industries, but both I would say are are very, very aware and very perceptive of how to tap into who their clientele is. So at the stationery store, one of the very first things I was even told in my interview, let alone in my training, is kind of like the typical array of characters I might see at the store and how to interact with each one of them individually. So this stationery store is located in the West Village, um, which is a pretty affluent part of New York City, as most people know. So you're definitely going to come across a lot of people who might be a little snooty sometimes, here might, you know, kind of be really aware of what they're looking for and definitely want you to be on the ball as well. So I was definitely trained in how to kind of best approach those different types of situations that I might encounter. And just in general, the way that the store is set up and the types of products that we carry and the wide array of products that we carry don't you know, kind of make the store so, you know, elevated that it's not inclusive to the other people who might be be visiting the stores, like students, people from other parts of the city, but it certainly maintains a really warm, friendly, and genuinely aesthetically pleasing environment that, you know, everyone would want to come in and really make the most of the experience and the products themselves are so beautifully curated. Like, I can genuinely say I did not go into that, you know, Job knowing a thing about stationery. As a matter of fact, I applied to a position at the um, partnering bookstore of the stationery store because it was something I just you know thought I would be really well suited for. Um, and they didn't have any open positions there, so they ended up placing me at the stationery store. And just the sheer amount that I've learned about like notebooks and like pens and all this stuff that I never really cared about before, but that I'm certainly interested in now has certainly speaks to, you know, the environment itself and the nature of the people who you meet and who you work with. So it's really well suited for, you know, kind of the audience that it's looking to, you know, appeal to. And I would say beyond that, because if, you know, I was able to learn as much as I did about the products and, you know, relay that information to some of my friends who come to visit me at the store, they're certainly accomplishing their goal of being, you know, a store and a part of an industry that wants to be inclusive to everyone who's interested in it. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely something I've learned a lot from the stationery store. And then on the other hand, from the international relations firm, um, obviously the crux of their, um, you know, their firm and their business is to, you know, foster interconnectivity. So they kind of have to always be on the ball about being fantastic about, you know, making connections with their different clients and making connections with different people at different events they might throw or different events they might be a part of and you know. Bringing in as many people to be a part of this world as they possibly can because that's their ultimate goal to help, you know, connection and, you know, break down any barriers that might exist in terms of culture and language. And although business and working in the business sector is not my long-term goal, it's good to see that there are people who are part of that sector, which I otherwise have quite a few issues with, that are trying to change the narrative and trying to change the approach that exists within what is usually just a very money-hungry and money-driven sector. So it's good to see that there's someone trying to bridge that gap. And I would hope that there are other firms who behave and kind of function in similar ways. So it's certainly great seeing the way that they try to be as friendly and helpful as possible um, while also you know running a very fun- well-functioning firm and business. So I would definitely say the overlap in between the two is the priority of interconnectivity And then, obviously, the only places through which they divorce in terms of, um, you know, priorities and interests are just the stark difference in the two industries themselves. Yeah. And would
0: you be able to, say, speak to what the firm is doing? And are there any cases in which you could provide a few examples that align with your own ethos and that you truly stand behind?
1: Well, I would say... To be quite frank, what initially drew me to the firm right off the bat was the fact that you got to just speak and interact with so many different people from around the world. Um, as I mentioned before, I do speak a few languages, so um, the opportunity to be able to engage those in ways I hadn't before was very exciting to me, and that was actually, I think, a big part of the firm's interest in hiring me because um, when hiring me, it was between me and actual um, and two actual foreign graduates. Um, and I think they ultimately went with me because... Um, you know, of my prior experience in working in the legal and political field, but then also my experience in engaging and speaking, you know, different languages and kind of putting that into practice and the ways that I've, you know, sort of done so throughout my academic career. Um, Because I've certainly learned all those languages in different ways. So, like I said, I did learn Spanish growing up. And, you know, the way that I, you know, my German class was different. So my German class I actually did in person in an actual classroom. So that... um, basically meant that I was more engaged in a more conversational way, which makes my German a lot more conversational than my French is, whereas I did my French in an online course, so everything was a little bit mechanical about what I was doing, so my French is certainly very different in that way, and then in college, I did, um, I just finished my last semester of Arabic. Um, I won't be using that in my job whatsoever, because like I said, it's mostly Europeans in the United States, but the way that I learned that and the way that I engage with that was certainly more hands-on culturally because of the fact that we would take little like trips to different like you know restaurants or places in the city where we could actually practice our Arabic and things like that. And then I'm like right now, literally through Duolingo, self-teaching myself Italian because Italian to me is really just like French and Spanish. So putting those two together has been not the hardest thing in the world. Although I'm, I should be practicing a little bit more than I am right now. So um, I would say what really drew to me which drew me to the firm itself was seeing an opportunity through which I could continue that linguistic engagement in a way I had not before and in a way that would allow me to really put the work behind that linguistic interest in a more, you know, kind of culturally engaging way, in a way where it's like, okay, I'm able to engage in different languages I speak, but I'm also able to kind of help these different small businesses make a name for themselves in different countries where they could ultimately end up being a really big part of their industry or that country. So that to me was something that was really interesting to me. And of course, the research aspect, getting the opportunity to do actual important and in-depth research for actual firm in both a legal and policy-related way was really, really fascinating to me. So I would say that's probably the part of it. I stand behind it the most um, because it's kind of straightforward. There isn't really a message I can say I stand behind because there's not so much per se, an actual message behind you know connectivity. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing I stand behind, but because of the nature of the firm, I wouldn't say it has so much like a mission statement that I could speak a lot much on. Um, whereas, you know, like with a campaign or with a Senator, obviously kind of like the whole crux of their career is having a mission statement. Whereas with a firm that has kind of a service they provide, it's harder to pinpoint one, but those kind of different aspects that I mentioned are what drew me to it for sure.
0: And where would you say that they were lacking?
1: Um, I wouldn't say that they're, I mean, I don't know that I've been there long enough to, to say if there's anything they are lacking. What an in. initial they seem perspective. To, maybe in diversity of the actual firm itself. But again, I've only met so many people who work in the New York office in that particular building. Um, that was my only impression right off the bat, that it could be a more diverse environment. Um, but I also don't know what the whole company looks like, so I couldn't say for sure. But right off the bat, that's what, that's what I thought.
0: For those who are listening, for say younger students like yourself who are kind of in that phase of oh my gosh, where am I going to source all these opportunities? Because just hearing you kind of go off this timeline, this trajectory, where did you find these opportunities?
1: So when I was in high school, um, mostly my like peers and my mom like would hear about things. Like it was probably more so like my peers. Like so it would kind of depend on what I was looking at. So for like actual things like the sports I did or the community service I did or like. The extracurriculars that I did, when I was younger, my mom would find out about a lot, a lot, about a lot of these opportunities, and she would either, like, ask me if I was interested in them or just register me for them so I could give it a try. True mama bear. Got, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when I was in high school, a lot of my internship opportunities I learned about either through my school or my peers. So a lot of my debate team peers were kind of like me, where they had, like, a 20-year plan laid out in front of them. So, you know, finding out about things was not hard when those were my, like, like my immediate friend group. Um, And then also because of the nature of the fact that the school was like an academically accelerated school that really pushed their students both academically, professionally and extracurricularly. I found out about a lot of these things through like teachers, counselors, things like that. But once I got to college, um, most universities um, and colleges are pretty good about, you know, having departments that will communicate internship opportunities and, you know, different professional opportunities to you. And a lot of clubs will also do the same thing. So um, all my internships, including the campaign last summer, I found out through the, like so last summer, that campaign opportunity, I found out through the political science department when I was still a part of it. So towards the end of the semester, even throughout the semester, the head of the department will usually forward all these internship opportunities to everyone in the department so that you can begin to apply to them, but especially so towards the end of the spring semester. So If you're not automatically getting those emails from your department, or your department head or professors, do make sure that you're, you know, forming good relationships with them and reaching out to them to ask them about anything that they may have heard about that they thought you would be good for, that you might be interested in. You know, forming good relationships with department heads and department members and professors is always going to be the best course of action to finding professional opportunities throughout the city that you're in or the university that you're at. Um, so that's how I have found all of mine. And this year I found out, I found out about this opportunity through the international studies department. Um, so like I said, it's really about forming that relationship. If the department is not already sending you all those opportunities, because I'm not sure if it's the same at other universities, but, um, yeah, there's always going to be something that they'll know about. And it's really about, you know, making sure you're the person who's in their mind when they hear about those things, because you want to definitely always put the best foot forward. So, Making good first impressions, being engaging in classes, making sure that you're really interacting with the subject matter and the professor in a meaningful way is the best way to put yourself first in life for those opportunities would be my main advice. Um, um, Yeah, and then to kind of speak to the clubs aspect of it, one of my biggest platforms when I ran for president of the um, Black Student Alliance, which is one of the clubs that I'm president of at our school, was to turn that club into not just a safe space for students of color and black students at Fordham, because Fordham is a predominantly white university or PWI, um, but also turning it into a resource for the students at the school because we obviously have a career services department. As a matter of fact, um, the career services department sponsors a club called the Fordham Career Ambassadors, and I'm, the, I'm one of the co-presidents of that club. So I'm obviously very aware of all the different opportunities that the career services office makes aware of, makes the students aware of and, you know, They're always having club fairs, I mean, pardon me, career fairs and like different events for specific industries. So they may have a professional from, let's say, I know whether it be the fashion industry, they'll have a lawyer come in, they'll have a politician come in, they'll have, you know, someone from the UN come in to speak to us about the different opportunities for students at the UN. So those are very important to attend as well. And you want to make sure that you're very communicative and you're very on top of the different opportunities that the career services offices at your school might have, but also making sure that your club you know, any cultural or, you know, leadership or whatever clubs that you may be a part of are also making you aware of any opportunities in the city that may have something to do with their industry. So one of my friends is, like I said, I definitely do that for BSA. We have a newsletter that goes out every month with, um, different internship opportunities or different, like cultural events going on throughout the city to make sure we're keeping our members in the know of the different opportunities that are available for them throughout the city. But, um, One of my friends also, um, he's on the e-board of the Environmental Science Club, and they also do the same thing where they're telling students about different internships that have to do with environmental science and, you know, things like that. So definitely look out to see if any clubs are making you aware of those opportunities, but also just really being, you know, keeping your ear to the ground in the university in general and, you know, making sure that you're in contact with professors, you know, different offices and different student leaders, because we'll always know about something. And, you know, the closer you are with them and the better impression you made on them, the more likely they are to really go out of their way to give you that extra help. So that's definitely how I've gotten my most opportunities. To it's, It does pay to be a bit of a suck-up. It's true, it does, yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: And I want to touch on Man Repeller in a minute and how you sure. got connected to them. But first off, how have you found so far that your workspaces have served you in how you just connect with people on a day-to-day basis?
1: Um, so my, I would definitely say my workspaces have definitely allowed me to become a more adaptable person. So I've obviously worked in several different environments and my work environments, be that my internship, be that my work study job are so starkly different from like the way I interact in my own personal social circles or in my extracurricular, you know, environments and then my actual classrooms, like they're all such different spaces, despite how close they may, despite how similar they may be in actual, you know, like you know, I would say maybe like professional context, they're all obviously very different social spaces. So they've made me more, they made me more, a more adaptable person. They've made me more able to kind of think on my feet and interact with different people. Like something I've definitely never had a problem with is, you know, interacting with people who are different from me or, you know, being able to have conversations with people who may be doing something totally different from what I'm doing. And I can definitely attribute that to the fact that I've worked and, you know, had a role in so many different environments. And that's really my main takeaway. I've just become someone who's better able to adapt to situations i may not always like the fact that i have to adapt like i may not like like i said i may not have loved the fact that i had a crazy schedule last summer but i was certainly able to do it and you know do it right and do it well just because i've had that experience working in so many different places with different people so it's a good it's a good skill to have whether you want to have to you know employ it or not um it's good to be able to know how to do it
0: Touching on your Instagram which is what drew me in like the entire branding (laughs) your look I mean you may be working on that capsule collection but you have a
1: major fan right here um (laughs) thank you um yeah so Man Repeller started in the funniest way so Leandra Leandra Medine Cohen um who's the founder of Man Repeller she wrote an article about like split leg jeans I think it was and this was probably yeah this was last winter and they were a pair of I don't I want to say they were Donnie jeans but I might be totally making that up in my head but the point is they were a pair of like four hundred dollar jeans and it was just that the jeans had like a split in the inner leg inseam and I thought they were the coolest thing in the world and somewhere in the article Leandra might have offhandedly mentioned like you know, you can buy the jeans or you can just do it yourself and cut the jeans. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna do that. So I finished reading the article. I think I read the article at work. And I had a pair of bootleg jeans that pretty much looked like those exact same jeans, except that they didn't have to cut in the end seam. And I was like, I'm just gonna cut these jeans and make these jeans to look like, you know, these $400 jeans. So I, at like nine o'clock at night, you know when I finished all my work I went down to my friend's apartment who lived like I, I live on campus so he was literally just like I think he's like he was like 10 floors directly below me so I took the elevator down to my friend's apartment because he had a bigger pair of scissors than I did because my scissors weren't cutting it literally like they were not cutting <laughs> the jeans and they were not working at all and I was like I need a bigger pair of scissors denim so baby went, it's tough it's no it is it is tough and I you know went down to his apartment in my you know in my like robe and I was like, I need to use your scissors. And I, you know, we marked the jeans up to make sure we were cutting it exactly. And I cut the jeans and I tried them on and we were like, oh, we did it. So the next day I went and I, you know, made an outfit out of the jeans. I, I think I did like a denim on denim thing and I used, yeah, I think I wore a denim button down in the denim jeans. And then I had like these white cowgirl boots that I was obsessed with at the time. And I had this, um, I still have it. I have this straw hat that I love to wear and I, I fashioned it a little bit so it looked like a cowgirl hat and I took picture in it and I commented on Leandra's article and I was like oh you know like this article inspired me to like make these jeans myself because I can't afford $400 jeans and she like you know totally loved the idea and she responded to my comment and she was like you know um you know I love these you look so cool um and you know I was like so stoked that she had replied to me like I was like I called my mom. I was like, "Oh my god, Leandra likes my outfit!" Like I was freaking out. And then, like two days later, um, she follows me on Instagram and she reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do something for Man Repeller. And I was like, "Of course, you know, yeah, like, obviously, yeah, like, obviously." Um, I was totally freaking out because. I was actually running on the treadmill because it was still winter, so I couldn't actually run in the park. I mean, I could have, but I, I, I'm from, I've am from i come a long way from Miami, but I'm still not quite running in the park in 20-degree weather adjusted yet. Um, so I was running on the treadmill, and I got the notification that she had DM'd me, and I literally almost fell off the treadmill. It was the funniest thing. Like, I didn't think that ever happened to me. And I called my mom, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, she wants me to do something for a man-repeller, and I was totally freaking out. So, yeah, that's kind of where everything started. And then, you know, I, you know, eventually kind of connected with them and, um, you know, I've, I was a part of like their, well, I've just, I was intermittently on their page a couple of times and I was included in one of the articles one time and, you know, I would go to the different events that they would throw and, you know, I eventually started connecting with more of the writers and, you know, members of Manor Peller. So, you know, I connected with Harling Ross at one of the events that they threw and I connected with Crystal Anderson at one of, the, um, one of the events that they threw and um, um, Amelie McGowan, who is like the one who runs the actual Man Repeller page. So I've definitely kind of made all these different connections with the different people who are part of Man Repeller. And you know, they're the sweetest, you know, women on earth. And like, I've definitely never felt so welcome and so, you know, brought into an environment that like technically is so far from my own. And like, they all know that, like, um, really, and also I would probably say the one that I, you know, interact with on the most consistent basis, is probably Dasha Fairs. She's actually there she's the person who is like kind of behind all of those cool man Paler product launches that you see like she's their pro I don't know her exact title name but I would like to say she's like the product director or the product manager so yeah she's definitely the one who I interact with the most consistently because like I said I played a role um in their most recent launch well they had four launches this summer but leading up to that launch they had a couple of focus groups and I was a part of I was a part of one of them and um I got to somehow play a role in some of their product decisions which is absolutely insane because i was just like you know like yeah like I like fashion and like I shop entirely too much but you know my initial reaction was like what do I know about like putting out these incredible accessories like I'm a pre-law student at Fordham like I'm like a nerd like what do you what why do you guys want my opinion but I was so honored and it was a crazy amazing experience and um continuing to interact with them is so much fun and they're like I said an amazing group and they're such a unique fashion publication in that, you know, they're breaking a lot of the industry standards and molds, and they've really created a really fantastic space, um, and a really inclusive space as well, you know, like, I've genuinely never seen such a diverse publication in fashion, and, you know, I've kind of ripped through my fair share, and I, I think they're doing an incredible thing, they're making an incredible mark on the industry, and I, I, you know, couldn't say enough positive things about, you know, everyone there and the publication as a whole. Like. You know, their articles are so insightful, and they they reach such a broad audience. Like, um, I have a friend, one of my friends, Wyatt, and we initially, like, we became friends because we were initially almost dating. We had gone on, like, a couple of dates, and, like, one of the first things we ever connected with was I would send him all these Man Repeller articles, and, like, we ended up knowing very quickly we were just going to be friends, but, like, one of the things that we still talk about all the time are these different Man Repeller articles that I sent him, and he's like he literally works at a research lab at Columbia University. Like he plays soccer. He's like not And you just the sent him you...
0: through these articles. Yeah. Like Yeah,
1: and you and you would never picture him to be the person to read these Peller articles. And he's he loves them. Like he's he loves reading them. He doesn't I didn't even have to send him them anymore. He reads them by himself. Like he loves them. And then one of my friends from back home, he's like we like one of the ways that we connect is that we were both really politically active and he's like this like total boots on the ground activist, like he's so politically involved, like, he, he's got, me. He, like, he, he just looks like your, like, your, like your typical, like, political student, like, he's got, like, this long hair, and, these, and like, this beard, and he's literally studying, like, he, like, he's studying, you know, I don't know if he's still studying political science, but he's, you know, studying politics at the school in Berlin, and he was, like, telling me how he reads Manor Peller, too, and I was, like, this is such a wide, you know, reaching publication, yeah. yeah, you know, they, they really reach everyone, and there's really something for everyone on their publication, and you know, I honestly don't think any other publication that is so specific towards something like fashion can say the same. So the little ways through which I have a connection with them and that I'm a part of their community is so important to me because I really have never seen anything like it before. So it's absolutely incredible to see them grow and, you know, to be a part of that. It's absolutely incredible. So, yeah, it's that was definitely kind of what I would consider my my, my big thing. And that was one, I think probably one of the most important parts of my journey since I moved to New York. And it really gets more exciting every time I do something with them.
0: Yeah. I really think that this speaks to the side of Amari that's a little more play. Yeah.
1: yeah, You have
0: so much going on. And I think people listening to this can definitely relate to this And something that we're all trying to implement more and realizing as a society is that we work to live, but that definition of living isn't necessarily living. It's, it's still like survival mode. And we're slowly yeah. just realizing it's okay to live. It's okay to breathe oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. to just play and have fun. And that this is an aspect in which you were just, you know, you're, running on a treadmill and doing this, this and that and like I find that situation just defines you so perfectly and like having yeah, this- no, it was the
1: it was the funniest thing like I was running on a treadmill and that was because it was my it's the one day of the week during my schedule last semester where I had a class starting later on in the day so I could work in enough time to work out read something like read something on Manor Repeller if I wanted to and then go to class and of course it would so happen that like I'm literally in the middle of working out before going to class and I would get this like opportunity with manner color. so yeah it definitely is a bit of an on-the-nose type of situation for me to find myself in yeah I hadn't thought of that that's pretty funny
0: girl you are work 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 but I love how still this aspect of play came in and that it manifested in this way that you're going downstairs in your dorms and like hey I, I need a bigger pair of scissors like let's do this yeah like yeah. just I'm just showing up in my robe and I'm just here at 9 p.m to have oh, like a yeah. fun yeah I mean but
1: really and in- everyone's defense there. My friend knows me so well. Like, he's probably one of my best friends on earth. His name is Aiden. He actually just moved off campus, so there goes any more of my midnight jean cuttings because I'm not taking the train <laughs> half an hour to cut my jeans with him. I might have to learn to do that on my own. Um, but um, he's still in New York. He's still going to board him, but he does have a proper apartment now, so I might have to find another friend in the building to cut my jeans with. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I certainly have such a group of friends, and I definitely think I'm able to do all these crazy things and have such a concrete kind of presence in all these different things I do because I have such amazing and supportive friends and, you know, family and they're, they're definitely kind of, you know, the foundation that kind of props me up without a doubt. Like, I mean, like that friend is like, definitely one of like he, he takes like the best pictures of me like I, I think he, no one probably like he, he's always joking he's like oh yeah nobody knows her angles like I do like we're we'll be out with like four people and he'll be like oh no 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 don't give me you that know, phone I'll her. take it he's like no I'll take it I'll take it like I remember one time we I had to get to work at 9 30 and he had to get to class at I think 10 o'clock and thankfully you know all of our classes are in one building or so like one building and then the campus is just connected by three buildings so you can just get there through like the little underground tunnels that Fordham has in like five ten minutes but I wanted to take these pictures but I wanted to get like natural morning light so I like couldn't wait until after you know work or school or whatever so he came to my room at nine o'clock in the morning and took these crazy amazing pictures of me probably like the best one some of the best pictures I've ever taken he's ever taken of me so he is definitely the MVP he's one of my best friends for so many reasons but yeah, like, I, I could just go to his room at 9, 9 p.m. in a robe and cut my jeans because, like, that's how close we are at this point, you know? But, yeah, definitely, I would say the closer I get with someone, the less, for the most part, of a control freak I'll be. But some of my friends might not agree with that. Maybe that's just, maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. But um, I definitely loosen up a little bit the better I know someone, hence the 9 p.m. bathrobe. Visit, but yeah, I I, I'm probably still just as much of a control freak in other ways, so I don't know that they necessarily (laughs) agree.
0: (laughs) Was there ever a time in your life where it was guts versus logic, and you went with your gut? I'm really interested in hearing your take on this.
1: Um, let's see.
0: Something that did not fall into the twenty-year plan, and you were just like gut intuition. I'm following you. Honestly,
1: I would actually say my decision to end up going to the high school that I went to instead of going to performing arts high school, because I, I was lined up to go to one. I had gotten accepted. I had let the school know that I was probably interested in it, but something, and you know, as a matter of fact, that same summer, I had just been scouted by the Wilhelmina modeling agency and they wanted me to try to split my time between New York and Miami. But there was something that was telling me that that wasn't the right move. There was something that was telling me I, you know, I shouldn't you know, go with something that I'm only interested in a very shallow and kind of like passive way, because I was going to end up regretting it. And sure, maybe that's not the biggest thing on earth, because I ultimately could have just transferred to an academic high school. But it was something that I wasn't really thinking, you know, logically, because, you know, I had actually spent the five years in musical theater. And, you know, logically, I could have gone through with the modeling, I had a huge agency who was willing to sign me. And, you know, I could have ended up you know, maybe getting a lot of big work. Like there was really nothing besides me thinking about who I was as a person and what felt right and what felt right was going down this path that maybe I didn't have the most clear vision of yet, but that I knew was what seemed to be calling me most, which was to, you know, begin to take more concrete steps into figuring out what my career could be in law and humanities and that was certainly something I wasn't, you know, going into totally blindly. Obviously, I'd gotten into a good school, so I would have had some help, and obviously my mom would have been very supportive no matter what. But it wasn't the clear and like totally sensible decision at the time, and I ended up going that other way instead. And that was definitely a point in my life that was very confusing for me, but that felt like the right thing to do, so I didn't, and I'm very glad I did. So I would say that was probably the biggest example of that type of decision making. This is Amari Alford, Guts and Glory, signing
0: off. This was Yellow Brick Road, Part 2 with Amari Alford. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.